Welcome to Across the Street, your one-stop shop for all things inpatient medicine at the Durham VA, from faculty and staff who know it and love it just as much as you do. Hi, I'm Amber Bowman in a hospital at the Durham VA Medical Center. Today we are going to discuss the approach to the unstable patient on general medicine at the Durham VA Medical Center. At the end of this talk, we will be able to understand the role of the MICU and CCU consults at the Durham VA. We will also review rapid responses and briefly codes. We will start with a case from the Durham VA earlier this week. Mr. M is a 65-year-old man with a history of esophageal cancer currently undergoing XRT and chemotherapy. His last dose of cisplatin was two weeks prior. He also has a history of hypertension, gastric esophageal reflux disease, and was admitted for a J2 placement due to malnutrition. During morning rounds, you note that the patient is rigoring. You decide to check his vital signs. His blood pressure is 155 over 89, his heart rate 108, respiration's 18, and he has a temperature of 101.9. You become concerned that he is not looking well overall. What options do you have if you believe the patient is clinically deteriorating? Well, the first option is to consider a MICU or a CCU consult. Often this means you may want to actually transfer the patient to the ICU, but equally as often you may just be concerned that the patient is deteriorating and want the input of an intensivist. For the MICU and CCU consult, it's important to remember that the CCU at the VA covers both cardiac and neurologic patients. So at this point, the patient is reasonably stable, but you may be concerned about his trajectory and want input from the MICU resident. Patients are appropriate for a MICU consult if there's no absolute indication for MICU admission and you think they are clinically stable on the floor for the additional one to two hours, which is roughly the time it takes to get in touch with the MICU resident and any other necessary consultants to have them evaluate the patient and formulate a plan. One of the most important but occasionally overlooked facts is to ensure the MICU and CC resident documents their evaluation and discussion in the chart. You want to avoid a situation in which a resident verbally indicates to you that a patient with an abnormal troponin, EKG, or other notable abnormality is stable for the floor, but you have no documentation of this conversation the next morning. So let's say you step out to call the MICU resident as you notice Mr. M coughing quite a bit and having increased work of breathing. The MICU resident is rounding and will come see the patient in the next 30 minutes. When you return to the room, however, to continue to evaluate him, you notice that he's working much harder to breathe and coughing quite a bit. You find his oxygen sat to be 70%. You put on nasal cannula with 6 liters oxygen and got his O2 sats up to the 80s, but he started rigging again and his heart rate got up to the 130s. You decide to call a rapid response. What is a rapid response or RRT? Multiple, multidisciplinary rapid response teams, RRTs, are groups of hospital personnel nurses, critical care nurses, respiratory therapists, and physicians that promptly bring intensive care unit level care to acutely deteriorating patients outside the ICU. At the VA, the function of the RRT is to ensure that patients undergoing an acute change in their medical condition get prompt assessment and treatment before a cardiac respiratory arrest or other serious complication occurs. The RRT is initiated by calling extension 176099. An RRT at the VA will include the primary team, including physicians and nursing staff, designated critical care nurses, 
who have current RRT competency, a respiratory therapist, a MICU nurse manager and off-tour coordinator, sometimes abbreviated OTC here at the VA, the MICU resident, and possibly the inpatient officer of the day, if there's an IOD on duty, the patient placement coordinator during administrative hours, a chaplain, and escort. RRTs are often called by nursing staff for a change in vital signs. Occasionally, residents interpret this as staff questioning their management of the patient, but that is indeed not the case. There are specific criteria for which staff must call an RRT. These include respiratory distress or threatened airway, a respiratory rate greater than 30 or less than 8, acute oxygen desats and or a change in breathing pattern, acute change in systolic blood pressure, usually less than 80 or more than 200, acute change in heart rate, usually less than 40 beats per minute or more than 125 beats per minute, an acute change in mental status, new, repeated, or prolonged seizures, or if the nurse or other healthcare provider feels the patient condition has worsened and requires more urgent medical attention. Additionally, patients or families who believe that acute changes in the patient medical condition are not being adequately addressed may also call an RRT. RRT should not be called, one, when a code blue is warranted, two, for stroke symptoms, three, specific advanced directives prohibit such, or four, end-of-life care. Members of the rapid response team are expected to arrive within 10 minutes of the page. It is recognized that when there are competing patient care emergencies, not all team members may be able to arrive within 10 minutes. If the patient becomes unresponsive or clinical staff with the patient believe that the patient faces risk of cardiac or pulmonary arrest while waiting for the RRT to arrive, a code blue should be called. So if a nurse called the RRT, your team would get a page that your patient is having an RRT and you should respond immediately. So what happens during an RRT? So the responsibilities include, the responsibility for the primary team is to remain at the RRT for the patient. You're expected to remain with the patient until the RRT has ended. The additional members of the RRT work with the primary team to assess and determine necessary diagnostic and therapeutic interventions for the patient, including the possibility of transfer to a higher level care. Nursing and primary providers should review the code status, obtain vital signs and blood sugar, obtain a computer on wheels to review documentation and place orders, attempt IV access, and review medications administered during the past six hours. It can be very useful to know the patient got perhaps eight milligrams of Ativan or 30 milligrams of oxycodone over the last six hours. The RRT critical care nurse will assist the patient's primary nurse, jointly assessing the patient, reviewing the chart, and making recommendations. The respiratory therapist will respond to all RRT calls, providing airway management. Respiratory therapy will also administer necessary breathing treatments, obtain oxygen sats, ABGs, and initiate BiPAP, CPAP, and ventilators as needed. Nursing will assist with stat labs as needed. Appropriate labs will be ordered by the patient's primary care team. The patient's primary nurse is responsible for bringing these to the patient's location. The individual labeling the labs will label them at the patient's bedside, using two identifiers per facility policy. Even if you feel like you can handle everything, it can be extremely helpful to have these resources, including the Mickey resident, to review potential causes of the patient's decompensation and obtaining the necessary resources, labs, EKG, stat chest x-ray, breathing treatments, as quickly as possible. 
So let's return to Mr. M. An RRT was called for Mr. M. He was confirmed to be full code. He had adequate access with recently placed PIC and PIV. Respiratory therapy placed the patient on face mask with improvement in oxygen to 100%. Pulmonary exam confirmed bilateral breath sounds with coarse sounds in the right lower lobe. It was thought that an aspiration event may have occurred and stat chest x-ray was ordered. The ICU nurse called for a stat EKG and Mr. M was found to be in sinus tachycardia. Review of the AM labs indicated Mr. M was now neutropenic. Cefepine was ordered stat from pharmacy and nursing assisted with obtaining stat blood cultures, Chem 7, and a lactic acid. Aggressive fluid resuscitation began with improvement in tachycardia. Patient improved clinically and was able to remain on the floor. Now let's briefly discuss codes. There are not much distinctions between hospitals regarding codes. However, at the VA, it's important to note to call a code, you will use the same number, 176099. To be clear, however, a patient does not have to be in cardiac arrest for a code to be called. Remember, for an RRT, team members respond promptly, but as a triage level, it can take up to 10 minutes for them to respond. So if you have a patient in SVT becoming unstable, or a hypotensive patient with a large active GI bleed suddenly becoming altered, or any scenario where winning 10 minutes is problematic, it is acceptable to call a code. Having people immediately available who can manage the airway, obtain access, and transfer the patient to ICU within minutes can be of paramount importance to patient outcomes. Well, I hope the above information is useful as you begin your rotation here at the Durham VA Medical Center. We hope you find it an honor to serve the men and women who have served and sacrificed so much for our country. The views and opinions stated during this podcast are my own and do not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of the Department of Veterans Affairs or Durham VA Hospital.